Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. How are we doing this morning? All right, that's good. So um, I uh, brought with me today something we all love, my pillow. I'm going to auction it off for the sermon. $5, anybody? Oh, right away, Scott. Okay. This is worth at least 10 for you, Scott, right? So, um, you know, I brought my pillow because uh, we're actually, in, in this section of Leviticus, there's a lot about rest, right? Do you know what you do, uh, what you're really doing when you lie down, put your head on the pillow, your eyes kind of, you know, hopefully not doing that right now, but uh, sort of get heavy and then you fall asleep. You know what you're doing? You're, yes, yeah, sleeping, but you're actually trusting God. But think about it. Like, when you go to sleep at night, anything could happen around you, and you don't know, right? Like, uh, I'm a, I don't know about you, but I'm a really heavy sleeper. Sometimes I'm found sleepwalking. Uh, but those are different stories for different days. But, but like, anything, things could be happening to my, my kids or your grandkids or, or someone you, you care about or your home or things that, that matter. Like, and that's why some of us have trouble sleeping, right? Because we're thinking about all of those things, and we're forgetting that God is God, and we aren't. That God has this, as we sang. God is sovereign, right? And so we're going to actually see in Leviticus how many times God commanded his people to rest and to celebrate, right? To gather and celebrate and rest and do good things. And, and, and he actually had to command us to do that because rest equals trust. So in this section, it's really all about what does it look like to actually, not just put it on a, on a coffee cup or, 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 or you know, cross-stitch and put it on your wall, but to actually trust God in our daily life. And by the way, I say this a lot, but I really mean this for this subject, that I'm not just speaking this, but I need to hear this too. You ask anyone who knows, you know, different men- mentors I have in my life, they're always saying the same thing, Jamie, you need to rest more. You need to rest. And that's a problem because when I don't rest, it means I'm not trusting. And so I need to hear this word as much, maybe more, than anyone here. So I'm right with you how important this is. So let's pray as we we go to this portion of Leviticus. Father, I thank you that um, you've brought us here. Lord, I thank you that that we have the ability and the freedom to come and gather and and sing and praise you, Lord. And and, and, and Lord, I, I thank you that our kids could be downstairs and you've provided great teachers for them, great nursery workers. Lord, I pray you'd bless them. Uh, very much by your grace. And Lord, I just ask for this time uh, in, in Leviticus and, and looking at your word that, that you, would, you would open our hearts, our minds, our ears, our souls to what you would have to learn, to leave here changed for the better, not because of anything I say, but because of your Holy Spirit taking your word, your truth, and impacting us. That's our prayer, Lord. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Okay, so we, uh, if you've been with us, uh, many of you have, but if not, welcome. Um, we've been going through uh, each section of Leviticus, and we've, we've, that's a book you don't often see preached through, uh, so we're not going line by line. We're going section by section, doing one message in each section. We're actually in number seven, so next week is it. 
Don't cry. Uh, it'll be okay. We'll all get through it together. And, and so this is uh, section um, 7, which is actually uh, covers chapters 23 to 25. And so that's why we summarize a lot. We're not going to read through all of that. But here's how it begins. And, and so I want you to see sort of what especially chapter 23 is all about. So, the, so the, remember, God's people are at Mount Sinai, and, and the Lord is giving the law, and we've seen all of that, right? It says, the Lord spoke to Moses. That's a familiar uh, way things start, right? This is a, a, God telling Moses, hey, this is important. So he says to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, uh, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Like, think about that. Right, festivals, feasts, that God is actually going to command his people to stop working, stop the grind of life, get together, eat good food, drink good drinks, uh, worship, praise, prayer, uh, fellowship, good laughter, sometimes tears. Right? He actually has to command them to build this into their calendar. And that's what this, this chapter is going to do, where he's actually going to command them. Now, these are not feasts that we, the church, still celebrate, but there's amazing, I think, themes and principles found here that are still for us because God hasn't changed. And so what he's then, uh, uh, here you see, uh, and 11 times in this chapter, you see him command holy convocations. That just means come together, family, friends, God's people, come together and, and celebrate and, and do and, and rest and these would be huge stoppages um, in, their, in their days and in their, 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 their sort of typical rhythm of life. They would stop. And, and, and we have some of our own things. You know, next week we have Thanksgiving or Christmas or New Year's or, or, or you know, Resurrection Sunday and Good Friday and all these. Like we have those two where we sort of stop and just celebrate or we should. And I think we do it poorly. And I want us to learn from that, that we do it well because God wants us to. And so these, um, he then goes, and I'm just going to give you a little, little summary because there's a lot, if you read through the, the reading, it's, it's just a lot of repetition and okay, this feast and this feast. So I just want to kind of give you a really quick overview of them and really see some commonalities that are found. And so the first uh, one that, that he, he says is actually not a, a yearly festival, but a weekly one. And it's one you read a, a lot about in scripture, both old and new, it's called the Sabbath. And that's the, the seventh day of the week. Right, kind of patterned after God's creation where he rested on the seventh day. And, and they were commanded. Now, for us, that seems kind of normal. We have weekends, paid time off, right? But they were an agricultural community. And so, so to, to, to actually take a full day off was huge sacrifice for them. Because the, the harder they work, the, if they can work every day, right, the more they're going to have, the more they can put in their barns, the more they can save, the more they'll, right? And so, so God says, no, 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 work hard. I, I always want my people to work hard. But take a day, no work, right? Get together, gather, pray, praise, uh, do like, eat well, just, just take a Sabbath, right? And, and that was commanded, and it was actually given to them as a gift, gift of rest, good resting in God's grace. And that's why Jesus was always arguing with the religious leaders in his day because they turned the Sabbath into a burden for the people. He's like, why are you doing that? This is supposed to be a gift to rest. But notice how God commands that right away. And then from there in chapter 23, we have um, the seven different feasts or festivals that he, he commands them. And they're split up into two different months, right? There's the, 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 the first month of the year, the Jewish calendar is different. That's their uh, year starts in the spring. 
Um, and so you have the spring festivals, and then the, the seventh month, which is in the fall, you have the fall festivals. And these are required for God's people. And so if you, you read through that chapter, it starts with the Passover, right? No, definitely no work on the Passover. Um, in fact, it was one of um, a few of the festivals when they eventually get into the Promised Land that they were, all adult men were required to travel to Jerusalem. They usually brought their families with them, but only the men were required to do it. And so this is certainly one of them. And they would come and they would gather. And if you read, that's the Last Supper, right? And we've even had a, a Passover meal. We had uh, uh, Chosen People Ministries come a few years ago before the pandemic. And, and we actually celebrated that and saw what they did. Good food, all of it very symbolic, right? And what they're doing is they're every year to gather and stop and remember the 10th plague when they were in Egypt. And that's when, if you remember, that's where, when the, the angel of the Lord uh, came and brought the wrath of God and every firstborn son of every home was to be killed. And, and that would include God's people, the Israelites, except by his grace. He says, take a spotless lamb, take the blood, put it on your doorposts, right? And the angel of the Lord will pass over by his grace because you're covered by the blood. All that Passover is, that's why the Last Supper was at the Passover. It's, it's just picturing the spotless lamb's blood someday. And that now, if you're covered by his blood, when you trust in him, God's wrath passes you over by his grace. So, so the Passover was a huge festival for them. It was always important to remember, this is who we were, slaves in Egypt, and God saved just like for us, Good Friday is such a big one for us because we were lost, we were enslaved to sin, and yet God has rescued us. Right? So, so that was the, the first one, right? but the unleavened bread is interesting. It happens literally the next day, and it lasts for a week. And that's why by Jesus' time, they sort of merged the two. You say Passover, and it was like a week-long thing. Really, Passover is one day. Unleavened bread is, the, is a whole week after that. And, and the first day and the last day of this are, again, days of rest. No ordinary work, right? Stay away from the grind of life and bring sacrifices uh, to God, gather and worship. And there they would only eat unleavened bread. To, again, remembering Egypt when they had to leave in haste and they didn't have a chance to let their bread rise. And that was, uh, uh, again, a lot of times people would come to Jerusalem just to enjoy all, you know, the, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That same, uh, um, right after that, in fact, the first day after the last Sabbath of the Unleavened Bread is called First Fruits. And, that, and, and so that would happen on a Sunday, right after. So again, these are really kind of boom, 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 right? It sort of feels like we do at Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, and all of a sudden, the dead of winter, we're like, oh, we need more holidays. Well, Super Bowl, that's usually a holiday around here. Um, but that they, they kind of had just boom, boom, like machine gun fire, and now they have first fruits. This was a celebration of the grain uh, harvest because they were in a farming community. And so they would bring, but they couldn't enjoy any of their produce until they brought the first and best to God. And they would bring that offering to God um, and other sacrifices as well. And, and, and again, they would gather, and they're commanded that would be another day of solemn rest. The fourth one um, in the, the spring is then called the Feast of Weeks, or the Greek word is Pentecost. And the, and the reason it's called Weeks is it was seven weeks after the, the Feast of First Fruits. 
So basically 50 days, which is where you get Pentecost. If you know your New Testament, that's when the Holy Spirit came, right? At Pentecost. Well, they were all in Jerusalem celebrating this feast that God commanded in Leviticus. And what was Pentecost to, to do? Well, again, there would be, um, this, this one was another day of, of rest. And, and it was really to celebrate the harvest together once again, right? And so they would gather, they would um, rest, and they would celebrate that God is good, right? So, so these all happen in the first month. So then in Leviticus 23, he outlines three more. These happen in the seventh month. They're called the fall festivals. This is actually a really good time for them to take some, some time off. It's, it's sort of the, clo- the close of one harvest season, and they're waiting for the winter rains for the next harvest season. And so they still had work to do, but it was a great time, and almost like God knew that, for them to take some time and really rest and celebrate and worship. And so he, he built in some feasts here. And the first is the first day of that month. It's called the Feast of Trumpets. They would blow these trumpets. They would rest. There'd be great food offerings and a great uh, awesome celebration. We really don't have a whole lot of other information on what they did. It just sounds a lot of fun. Played some good music and, and took some time to worship God. The second was the Day of Atonement. That's on the 10th day of the seventh month. If you were with us a few weeks ago, chapter 16 really gives us details, right? That was a solemn convocation. Again, so this is time. We still have those, right? Good Friday is not exactly a celebratory. Like we are celebrating, but it's pretty solemn as well because you're remembering, man, the cross, and you're remembering how holy God is, how much I need a Savior. And so there is that, that sitting before God. And that's what they would do in the Day of Atonement. Sit before God, let God sift through their soul, and recognize their need for God's salvation. The high priest, remember, he would go behind the veil, sprinkle the, the blood, and the sacrifices were given. That's in the Day of Atonement. That was to happen every single year, reminding the people that God is holy, that I am not, that my sin needs to be atoned for that I need him to save me, right? And so God commanded them. Again, that was um, a day of rest as well, but solemn rest. And lastly, I think this is my favorite. Um, I think this is one I would enjoy the most, and it's called the Feast of Booths. And I don't know if you've uh, watched the, the, uh, the program called The Chosen, which is about the life of Jesus. A lot of people are into that. I recommend it. It's really good. There's one episode where they're building little, uh, uh, with, with branches, um, temporary huts to live in outside of their dwellings. And they were to do that, commanded to do that, for an entire week. The first and last day, again, just like in weeks, uh, the, just like um, the unleavened bread, I should say, are both days of rest. And this was a week long. They would get out of their house. They would live in these, like, these uh, dwellings that they made to remind them they used to have nothing when they left Egypt. And now look what we have, right? So there were sacrifices and there were certain things they did, but it was a week-long sort of festival of thanksgiving. In fact, the Puritans who came to America as Christians, right, and they, set, they decided to set aside this, this feast that they would do and it's um, turned into something that we're all going to hopefully do next week. And they patterned the Feast of Thanksgiving after booths. So it's very similar to be able to stop, gather with family, gather with God's people, and thank God together. And have great food and great time and song and, and just, just celebrate and rest and, and see, man, God is God. I am not. And, and, and they, they were commanded of God to do these things because just like us, they were bad at it because they didn't trust him enough. If you, you notice how 
often in that God says, rest, rest, rest. But rest well, right? Not just, ugh, and go to sleep. But actually get with people you love and care about. And not, like sometimes we're so, we actually need a rest from the rest. We get so frantic. I gotta visit this person and I gotta go visit this person. Stop! And if they don't like it, too bad, right? This is your time to rest in the grace of God. Right? What happens in our life when we don't take time daily, weekly, and certainly in different times throughout the year to rest in God's grace is we are, without saying it, we're saying, I'm God. I have to work more. If I, I have to get that extra promotion. If I don't, what will happen to my family? I, right? Constantly and frantically going after life as if I am God, as if I have to control everything. And that's why we are wrought with anxiety. That's why we can't sleep. Because we realize how bad we are at being God. And the Israelites were the same way. And so God says, no, you're going to rest and worship and trust me. And trust me, because these are built into your calendar for your weary souls to be able to rest in my grace. And, and what you do constantly in these times of festivals and is, is to, to think together and to worship together and realize who God is, what he's done, and the hope of what he will do. Right? To build these times in our, our calendars. That's what rest does. Um, we sometimes buy our own hype. Right? Like, oh, I'm, I'm like the world needs me. Like, it's sobering to realize it doesn't, right? But it's also beautifully freeing to say, you know what? I'm going to rest today. I'm going to just enjoy my family. I'm going to put the devices down. I'm going to put all the stuff away, and I'm just going to rest. And you know what? The world will keep turning because I'm not God. He's God, and he never, ever rests because he doesn't need to. You ever wonder why he made us to need rest? He could have did it differently, could have said, well, we'll make humans they have to rest once a month or once a week or once a year or never. Because he could have done that. He's God, but he didn't. You have to rest every single day or should because he wants you to realize you aren't God. You need him. You need him every single day. And every time you lay your head on the pillow, you should remember that. And so the rest of that section, I won't spend as much time with. Chapter 24 is really kind of an odd placement, at least it seems, he gives instructions for the tabernacle, um, and, and, and it, somebody wrote that, that I read that I liked. It just said, I think this is here, God reminding them that the rest and worship, uh, certainly worship has to be done every day, not just at these high feasts. In other words, don't just go to church on Christmas and Easter, right? That the tabernacle was every day. And, and the, the, the priests were, were called to, to keep the, the, um, uh, the, the, the lampstand lit. And they would, on the Sabbath, they would bake. Imagine that, you're a priest, and one of your main jobs is to bake bread. And they would bake 12 big, like, pancake-sized bread, and they would put it in, in the holy place, and they could then eat it throughout the week. And, and I think, and this is a good lesson for us, I think that, because that, so, basically what that bread represented was God's promise, the covenant. And so every time the priest spent time baking, we got a baker's here? Anybody? Raise your hand. Anybody? Who's going to be cooking Thanksgiving? Who's like me is going to be sitting in the living room waiting for food to be done? Okay, good. All right. A lot, of, lot higher hands for that one, right? 
So, so like, maybe you aren't, but if you're somebody who, who prepares a dish, maybe it's your favorite dish or whatever, it can get kind of stressful, and you're like, get out of the kitchen, I got it, right? But instead, what I think happened with the priest is the activity of making this bread, and for you, your, your casserole or that pasta dish that's been in your family, like, as you make that, physically be reminded of God's blessings. It's because of God you have that food. It's because of God you have the family that's going to sit around eating that food or friends or whoever you're going to be. It's because of God, right? So, so as they were making that bread, as you're making that food, whatever it is this week, or even just throughout your, your days, if you're someone who cooks a lot, like oh, oh, this is God's blessing. And, and it actually should remind you of that. And I think that's why the priests were constantly reminded to do that. God's covenant, God's promise. The rest of chapter 24 is uh, uh, someone gets caught in blasphemy. If you read that, it's like, whoa, that was pretty tough. And then there's some rules given. Um, just to sum that up, it's God's very clear, do what I say. So trusting God is resting, but trusting God is also obeying him. Even when you don't quite understand why he's telling you to do it a certain way, he is God. He's God. And so I just, a couple of minutes with chapter 24. Uh, five. Just the, the, here was, if you read through this during the reading, there's a couple of uh, pretty strange concepts, certainly to them and also to us. And, and first, he, he actually commands there to be rest again, but this time rest for the land, and it's called the Sabbath year. So what he said is when you come into the land, six years, go for it. Crops, and then the sixth year, I'm going to mightily bless it. So you have enough to last you through the whole seventh year where I don't want you to do anything. I want you to let the land rest, right? And they didn't know anything that we know now about farming, right? That, that it's very healthy and good to not over-farm certain lands. But they didn't know that. It didn't make sense to them. But God said, God didn't describe it. He didn't say, well, here's the science behind it. No. He said, do what I say. I'm God, right? Do what I say. Now, that's a major act of trust. If your livelihood is farming and you're told a whole year, don't till and, and plant and, and, and reap the harvest. Man, that's like, okay. And in that, he says, you can pick whatever grows wild. That's fine. But let the poor among you come as well. And so in that Sabbath year, you have God asking them to trust him, but also his heart, which you see all over this section, his heart for the poor, his heart for those who don't have. And you really see that theme in this last concept that I want to look at from chapter 25. The year of Jubilee. You ever read that one? Like, that's a weird one. And it's so weird that we don't have any actual evidence that the Israelites ever did it, which is sad because God commanded it. But they didn't do it because it was a huge act of trust. The year of Jubilee was every 50 years. And every 50 years, uh, if you, uh, because you were distributed land and there was allotments of land and it was in your family, right? And, and, and so if you came on hard times, things didn't go well, you could sell your land, right? And now you don't have that land anymore. It's not in your family, but you had to. You could even sell yourself into slavery. Slavery was an economic thing. You couldn't pay your bills, right? You could work it off by becoming a slave. The year of Jubilee, every 50 years, God says, here's what I want to happen. If any land in that last 50 years were sold, I want it back in the family. You give it back. If anyone's in a slave or his family's enslaved, they're free. Like it's this one, this kind of reset button, which, which, you know, sounds great, but if you're the one that bought all this land and amassed this wealth, God's like, give it back. Now, now you know why they didn't do it, right? How many Americans would be like, that's mine, I earned that, right? But God's 
this message from God is, look, this is my land. I've given it to you. I want you to love your neighbor more than your stuff. I want you to trust me more than your stuff. And you will find it goes so much better for you. The year of Jubilee was a huge thing of trust. Like, okay, God, I'll trust you in this. Because it doesn't feel fair. And God's like, I'm not worried about fair, in the, in at least the way you define it. I'm worried about you caring for your neighbors, your friends, your brothers, your sisters. To love God, we've seen that in Leviticus, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And so stamped in this section throughout it are a few ways before we go, because not, I'm not asking you to go build a booth next week, okay? Their climate was much better in the fall for uh, something like that. You can if you want. Some of you, that sounds like a good idea. Um, but we don't do that, but there's these themes of trusting God. And the first, which of course I've already given it away many times, is that resting is trusting. Resting is trusting. Some of you are like, I just can't do that. I don't have the time for that. I can't. You're not trusting God when you say that. We do rest so badly. Or when we are, we're like, like lying on a beach somewhere, literally comatose because they're so exhausted. Right? That, that's fine. You might need a day for that. But like God wants you to rest well. That's why you do it often. And again, I'm preaching to myself right now too. And so, so I, I'm, I want to just give you, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I, I just gave you the summary of a lot of these feasts. But I want to give you the rest tour. Okay, and, and, and I'm not even going to give you all the places. If you read through the section, you see others as well. But I want to make sure you see that I'm not making this up. The very first thing, the Sabbath day. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. You shall do no work. It's a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So every week, rest. Right after that, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He says, on the first day, remember that's the week long, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. Take it off, right? And, 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 and rest and bring offerings and worship. A little bit later, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It's a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. How about booths or thanksgiving? On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. And of course also the, the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation, present a food offering to the Lord. It's a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. Over, over, and over again. It's so important to God. These are commands of God. And of course, the land. In the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. Let the land rest. A Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. These, these commands of God are calls to trust him. Right? Trust him. You could work that extra day. Don't. Right? You could, like, uh, you could try to take control of the wheel of your life. Don't. Let him have it. And rest is an active way of showing, I trust you, God. That doesn't mean be lazy. Work hard. But, when, but then build in rhythms of rest. If I were to, uh, and I won't, if I were to, have, hey, show, show of hands, who does this well? I'll bet it's very few. We're frantic people. 
especially in this culture. Frantic, always filling our time with stuff. And we miss who God is when we do that. Always have to be doing something or, or searching something, or, right? And, and so many of this room, in this room right now, are weary. Weary. Weary in body, maybe. Weary in emotionally, probably. Weary in our souls, <laughs> almost definitely. Because we don't rest well. I want you to imagine, if, if that's you, if you're, if you're, if you're weary um, in one of those ways or all of those ways, I want you to imagine uh, with me right now that you and your family or your good friends or whoever you picture that to be, and you decide you're, you're in, by the way, you're in the Middle East. You know, that's weird, but just picture it with me. It's that climate. And you decide to take a day off, which is hard because I could really use some extra money. You decide to take a day off, and you're going to go see this traveling, famous religious guy. He's a rabbi, and his name is Jesus. Perhaps you've heard of him. And you're going to go. He's, he's speaking out, out in the open. There's tons of people there, and they all seem just as weary as you are. And you're sitting there, and you're like, you don't know what he's going to say. You heard he says good things, but still, most of the pastors, rabbis, priests that you've heard, they're always telling you you're not doing something right, and they're always telling you where you're not measuring up. They're always telling you where you're not following the law enough, right? And that, so that's kind of what you're expecting to hear. And this, this Jesus, he, he stands up, and he looks around, and he sees you, he sees the people you're with. It's almost like he can see the weariness not just the physical weariness, but the weariness deep down inside. He sees it. And so he stands up. And you're like, what, what, what's he going to say, right? And this is actually what he says. Look at how strange this is. He looks at you in all of your weariness, and he says, come to me. Three words that no one else would ever say. Bring your weary soul to me. Why? All who labor and are heavy laden. It's like he sees it, right? All who labor are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is all of these commands to rest are found, right? They all point to the gospel of Jesus Christ to find rest in him. That's why he says, come to me. Like, stop trying to be your own God. Like, you, you, you come to me and I will give you rest. Not just sleep. Well, that'll be part of it because when you're resting, you sleep. But rest, legit rest that says, I can't save myself. But he saved me. He died for me. Like, I, I, I can't bring myself into a new life, but he does it. Like, I can't control the purposes and plans of my life, but he does. He says, come to me. Have you done that? Like, if you haven't, right, if, you've, if you're still, like, I just want to ask you, why not? So ask yourself, why not? Like, how is the other alternative working? Is it working well? You being God? Is that working well to say, no, I, I got this all under control. I guarantee you it's not. Life hits and you realize, man, I got nothing under control. Me, be, me being God, me controlling all my circumstances, frantically trying to take care of everything that's in my life, 
How's that going? Well, I can do it. Stop listening to the dumb world that says you can do it because you know you can. Why don't you at least try it? All he says is come to me. He say you gotta read and do this and do that and start dressing differently. He just says come to me. In faith, come to me. I'll give you rest. So just, just come to me. And so maybe that's you. You're frantic and you just need your weary souls. You're like, I don't know, can it be that easy? Why don't you try? Give it a shot. Put your faith in Christ. Put your faith in the gospel. And Christians who are in the room, me included, man, what a lesson for us. In that, he says, yoke yourself to me. I happen to have, I think, I think Scott Brundage, you're here. You made this, right, for Bob? Is this one of yours that you made? Yeah. So mini yoke, just as a good reminder, so I borrowed it from, from Bob. But that's what yoking means. It's not an egg yoke, right? It's, uh, you know, two animals will be yoked together. So Christ is actually saying, you know how you find rest, Christian? You yoke yourself to me. You go where I go. Oh, my. Thank you, Scott. I saw all this. I thought somebody passed out or something. Okay. I go, oh, no, call an ambulance. Okay. Right? And, and so he's saying that. So picture yourself. Jesus, you're yoking yourself to Jesus. He says, just go where I go. Stay where I stay. You'll find rest. Right? The more you go away from him, the more you're going to find weariness. The more you stay with him, the more you're going to find rest. And so for us, for, thanks guys, by the way. Um, I'll, I'll be sure to do that well at the 11, I promise. Um, so, so if we have to build these rhythms of rest in our lives daily. That's why we say, have what we call a quiet time, which sounds like a punishment. It isn't. It's time in the word, time in prayer, just oh, a cup of coffee or tea or cherry Coke or whatever it is that you, you know, like, and just enjoy God. Enjoy God. Don't put pressure on it. Enjoy God. Worship him. That's why we gather, hopefully weekly, and sometimes more than that, to enjoy God together. Right, build that into your week, into your year. Get with your family. And I know it's hard in a mixed culture. Not everyone in your family is a Christian, so Thanksgiving can be weird. Some people are like, I'm not praying. Fine, but you've got to find a way for you to do it. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God's blessing, this, this food and this time with my family. And as Bob said, laying on the couch or going for a walk or playing football in the backyard. Whatever it is you do, do it. But do it to the glory of God. Say, I'm going to rep. Put the stupid phone down right? And instead, be present with God and with whoever's in your circle. Build that into your life. Rest is trust. That's our longest one, I, I, I promise. But there's also a couple of other ways that I want us to see in this section. The second is to trust by obeying, right? That whole idea of yoking, that whole idea of God just saying, look, here, let me just give you this, this verse. I think it sums it up from Levit- Leviticus 25, 18. Therefore, you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them. And then you will dwell in the land securely. God just says, do what I say. I know it doesn't always make sense. Give the land a rest. Year of Jubilee, right? Sabbath day. Just, just do it. Right? Just try my way. Just, just try the way I say to do it. Because you know what? I'm God. I know a thing or two about your life. Trust is obedience. This is how Jesus said it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? You don't keep commandments as Christians to get blessings from God. You already have blessings. Look around. You don't keep his commandments to get salvation. You already have salvation. That's free gift of grace by the cross. You follow his commandments because you love them. 
and you realize, I just, I just want to go where he goes. I just want to do it the way he says. What would it be? And this is the only question I want to ask about this one. What would it be like, this is going to sound crazy, if whatever God has been calling you to do to obey, maybe the last few weeks or months, maybe years, maybe just today as you're sitting here, and you know it, whatever it is, what would it radically be like if we got up after our, this gathering and we just went and did it? Wouldn't that be crazy? To stop making excuses and finding reasons why you can't do what God is calling you to do or not do? Or maybe it's a, a relationship you know is toxic and God says you've got to get rid of that relationship. Maybe there's a cold war going on in your marriage and God's saying, I want you to spark it. I want you to bring life to it. That's hard, but God's calling you to do it. What if you just did it and trusted him with it? Or to stop, maybe stop the bottle or the smoke or the pornography or whatever. You know God's been saying, knock it off, it's killing you. And what if you just got the help you needed to get and stopped? Or step into that ministry. It's like, oh, they have, God says, obey. Like, whatever that is, what if you just got up and you went and did it? That's trust, isn't it? Like, that's not just putting it on a t-shirt and saying, I trust God. That's actually your life saying, I trust God enough to do that weird thing that everyone in the world says is weird, and God says, I want you to do it my way. Trust. And lastly, in this section, as I mentioned earlier, is all over, it shows the generous heart of God, that generosity is trust. Right? The generosity is trust. The more you clutch on and put stock into your land or your stuff or your home or your money, the less you trust God. I'm going to give you another quick tour. It won't last long, just like the other one. But I want you to see it. I don't want you to just think I'm just making it say something I want it to say. Look at what God says. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor. And for the sojourner or the traveler, the person who's not from around here, I am the Lord your God. Like, that's my land, God. I should be able to take all of it. He says, I want you to leave some of it because I care about your neighbors. I care about those who don't have it. I want you to. He doesn't want you just to follow it. He wants us to actually have his heart for those who don't have. In verse 23, this is uh, talking about the, the, the time of Jubilee, the year of Jubilee. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity. Uh, you got that. For the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. Right? So again, he's saying, let it go. You don't live for your land. You don't let, live for your stuff. Let it go. Verse 35. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Right? The, later on, um, again, the, the year of Jubilee. And if he, a slave, is not redeemed by these means, then he and his children with him shall be released in the year of Jubilee. Right? So God's heart is for the poor and the downtrodden and your neighbor who's hurting because you might be the one hurting next. And he says, that's what I want your focus to be. Love me, love your neighbor. The rest of the stuff, it comes and goes. Live open-handed lives of generosity. Boy, that means trust. This is how uh, Jesus put it. And this will be our last verse. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You've heard that one before, right? Great Sunday school text or something back in the day. That's Jesus' whole economic right there. Trust enough to be generous. I mean, work hard. If God gave you tons of stuff, praise God. Be generous with it. Because here's the thing. When we're not trusting God, we're trusting our stuff. That means it's got to be mine. I've got to save it, build bigger barns for it. But when I'm trusting God, you can have it. Oh, you need it? Oh, she needs it? That's, I'm going to trust you. So, so this last trusting, I haven't brought this out in a while, so let's bring out the rope of hope. After church last night, Tony Hicks, if you guys know Tony, showed me this awesome tattoo he just got with this on it. So, wow, we're, we're tattooed on our arms now, right? Um, and so if you've never seen this, if you're, you're newer to us, we bring this out a lot, called the rope of hope. And this rope, it represents your life, which is why there's, there's, imagine there's no end to it, right? Because you're made with an everlasting soul. Right? So this is your life, right? but this green tape is your life here. You're 60, 70, 80, 90. Some of you are working on 100 yet. I don't see anyone yet working. You know, whatever years that God gives you, praise God, that's the green tape. So, so this is where, man, this is where we're farming. This is where we're working. This is where we're, we're celebrating. This is where we're feasting and sabbathing and need rest. It's all happening right here. This is where you're owning land. This is where you're building homes. This is where you're having families. It's all happening here. It all matters. Never hear me say that it doesn't matter. It does. It matters to God. It should matter to us. But it's all about perspective, especially in this concept of generosity. When we think this is all there is, we need to hoard it. But when we realize, man, that's actually my life. Eternity. Right? That I have trillions of years of eternity. And that's all Jesus is trying to get you to say. Make that your priority, not this. And when you get your head out of it and say, man, I'm going to trust God enough to just say, I can rest, right? Practice what I'm going to be doing, resting in the glory of God for all of eternity. Let's practice now. Or, uh, you know, I'm going to obey. The obedience that's going to make so much sense here, right here sometimes doesn't make as much sense. You've got to trust God in that. And in generosity, right, God's given it to you. He says, man, trust me enough to say, bless my neighbors with it. Bless people with it. Help. And so I want to pray, and I want, as we pray, whatever God, whatever areas of these trust, maybe all of them, maybe one of them, that God is laying on your heart. So let's, let's, let's pray, but let's be purposeful about that. Father, I thank you for the section of Leviticus. There's so much in it and, and so rich with, with your heart in it. And, and Lord, I, I pray that we would be a people who hear you, Jesus, loud and clear in our weary hearts and minds and lives when you say, come to me. Come to you, Jesus. That, that, that if, if there's anyone here who's just never put their faith in you, that you would call their heart to faith right now. That they would put aside the garbage of the world and the lies of it and say, I need a savior. I need to yoke myself to you. Lord, would you give us would you give us plans to rest? Would you give us the ability to celebrate well, to gather, even this week, gather together as your people, gather as families, and just rest and, and enjoy and celebrate and see all of it comes from your hand. 
Lord, I pray that for those things that have come to our minds of obedience, those things you've been calling us to do or stop doing, that we would leave here. You give us the courage, the strength, and the help, and the people to help us to do what you're calling us to do, to trust you enough to obey. And lastly, Lord, I ask for you to make us a generous people, whether it be those kids in Uganda or whether it be the shoeboxes or going to serve the, uh, the, the people in Worcester, all of which are happening today. Thank you for a church that's generous. I pray you'd make us even more, that you would help us to see it's just the green tape. It's just a few years. We have eternity to live and that we'd practice now. We wouldn't see our stuff as ours, but what you've given us to share with others. That we would have your heart, Lord. Give us your heart for the poor, the hurting, those who are down, those who need to see you, that you would use us to do that. We proclaim your name, Jesus. The reason for our life, the reason we have anything is because of you. And it's in your name, all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and sing together.